the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday, which means we have successfully traversed another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a show dedicated to taking phone calls and answering Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. We need you to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, This Sunday, my goodness, this Sunday is September, the first Sunday in September, which means it's Communion Sunday for us here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I assume it's going to be Communion Sunday for a lot of you. And we get the privilege and the blessing of being able to come to the Lord's table and and really literally become spiritually one with the Lord. So have a great weekend in church tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the rapture. Now, I was going to do this in one study at about 1045 this morning, looking at the voluminous pile of notes that I have. I was thinking, I am not going to be able to do this in one study. So it took a lot of pressure off. And we're going to do this in two Friday night services. And then next Friday night, uh, because hopefully it will be a, a much shorter study, just finishing it up, uh, I'll be able to take questions and answers the same way I do here on the radio program. I'll be able to take questions and answers regarding the rapture here from the people who are alive. So tonight and next Friday night, uh, the rapture of the church. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came and we didn't have to do either one of those studies? we still got a little bit of time, three hours, four hours. So, Jesus, come quickly. That would be great. Uh, and so that's on schedule this weekend. Hey, one other comment. If Jesus does not come before Monday, it is a holiday. It's a Labor Day holiday. And the people at KSLR are going to spend the day with their families, which means we will not be live. It will be a pre-recorded program. We will be back live, Lord willing, on Tuesday on AM 630 to work. Well, let's get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Donald says, I'm interested in starting a church, but don't know how to go about it. (laughs) Can I have your thoughts, please? Donald, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. Um, Many, many years ago, I mean, now it's 26 years ago, I received a phone call. I didn't know it at the time, but somebody was just going through the the, the phone book looking at churches. And uh, remember when we had phone books? That's how long ago it was. And it was a radio station, not KSLR, but it was a radio station in town that had a morning program. And the guy who did the interviews, it was an old gospel music thing, and he did interviews. He said, he said, I'd like to interview you about starting a church. How do you start a church? And so we did the interview. It was just a five-minute interview. 
And we did the interview, and he said, Pastor Ron, how do you start a church? I mean, you came here from California, and you're starting from scratch. And here's what I said to him, Donald. I said, call me in three years, and I'll let you know. Because I had no idea what I was doing. Now it's 26 years in, and I'm pretty sure I still don't know what I'm doing. So, Donald, I'm going to assume a couple things. I'm going to assume that you're called to be a pastor, that you're a Bible teacher, you're gifted to do that, that you love God, you love God's people, and you love his word. If you are going to start a church, and that is consistent with God's call in your life, then start teaching the Bible. Teach it to neighbors, teach it to family, teach it to anybody and everybody. Have a Bible study in your home. Do something. But start by being obedient to the calling. And as you teach the Bible and the Lord begins to bless it, it doesn't mean more people are going to come, but he's going to prepare you as a Bible teacher. You know, it's a uh, an, an ominous task. It's a wonderful one, but it's an ominous task. G, G, uh, James said, not many of you should seek to be teachers. Why? Because it stands, we stand a stricter judgment. We've got to be able to live what we're proclaiming to others. And so, Donald, that's what I would say. Don't worry about uh, a name of a church. Don't worry about incorporating. Don't worry about anything other than just getting people in your home and teaching the Bible. Or in a, an apartment complex. We did it in the recreation center of our apartment complex. That burned down pretty quickly, and then we started doing it in our apartment. And uh, uh, pretty soon people started coming. When I say pretty soon, it was a couple of years, actually. But people started coming, and more and more people started coming. Um, but but just kind of let the Spirit of God move. Don't try to do things too quickly. Uh, certainly don't do anything just for the sake of appearing like a church that you don't have the people to help you do it. So just start teaching the Bible. Let God raise up not only the people who come to the Bible study, but let God raise up those who will serve in the Bible study that turns into a church. But that's how I would go about it. It's how I went about it all those years ago. It's how I would go about it again. I have found a lot of people, Donald, who got themselves in a lot of trouble and created a lot of unnecessary stress, not only for themselves, but, but inside their families, for trying to do too much too soon. So just teach the Bible, and if God is pleased with you, people will come. You'll begin to be a blessing to them, and then people will start telling you, hey, can we meet? You know, I remember, Donald, our first Sunday service. Uh, we, we started meeting on Wednesday nights, and we were doing it for about a month, and we had a, a, a Catholic guy in the military who got saved, and he wanted to be baptized. And uh, and he was leaving. He was getting transferred uh, from Randolph Air Force Base somewhere else. And uh, and he said, I'd like to get baptized. So so we sat down. We did a, a Sunday, planned a Sunday service where he could get baptized. Well, that Saturday night was uh, the, the night when the recreation center that we were meeting had burned down. So we met instead in our apartment. Um, we, we went to the pool. We baptized them. The pools were covered in ash. I mean, this was a big fire. And the pools were covered in ash. But he wanted to do it, and I was thrilled to do it. And um, it, it just that was our first Sunday meeting, and we've been meeting Sundays ever since. So, Donald, that's, be patient. Don't expect too much. In fact, have no expectation at all. Just open your Bible and teach it. Be a studier. Be one who rightly divides the Word of God. Be, be uh, um, someone who's thrilled with the opportunity to share the, the magnificent Word of God with other people. Donald, thank you for the question, and good luck to you. God bless you, is what I should have said. Here's a question from Amanda. Pastor Ron, are churches who were closed or are still closed during COVID, are they violating Hebrews 10.25? Amanda, I believe so. Now I'm going to nuance my response a little bit. When the, uh, the the epidemic started way back in, I, I think for us, March of 2020 is when things sort of turned upside down. Uh, nobody really knew what COVID was. Um, they had all these scary um, predictions about millions of people dying and, and this is the most contagious thing ever. And everybody was afraid. 
and and even our leaders, they didn't know what to do. And in an abundance of caution, what they wanted to do, wanted us to do, was to refrain from meeting in public. And I don't think that was a violation of Hebrews 10.25. I don't think it became a violation until we found out that COVID wasn't what they told us it would be. Um, so um, at the beginning, no, we were closed here for about nine weeks. Uh, we had nine Sundays, Amanda, where... Uh, I taught to a virtual and empty room. I had the uh, three of our worship team members there, um, a sound man, our announcer was there, uh, and, and the people doing the audio for the live stream, the video, rather, for the live stream. And, um, and, and of course, Paula was in church. She never misses. Um, but uh, from that point forward, uh, after the nine weeks, it just became clear that that this, this COVID, we had an outbreak of it here at our church. I was on national news for, I think, five or six days. Um, I, I, I had requests for interviews literally from all over the world. And uh, we found out COVID wasn't what they told us it was. And then the governor gave us his blessing to, to return to meet. Uh, and at that point... Um, churches that closed were in violation of Hebrews 10.25, which says, do not forsake the assembling of the saints together. Um, It's very important. God knows that we Christians don't do very well out of fellowship, and that's the place the enemy wants to get us. So, um, Amanda, I do believe that churches who are closed still are violating... um, Scripture. We have to do what God says and not what man says. It's interesting that Hebrews 10.25 is right in the middle of one of the, the six warnings from the book of Hebrews. And um, um, they're warning us about the importance, the value of fellowship. So, Amanda, I don't think at the beginning we were. I think that was a case where it was reasonable and prudent to shut things down. Let's see how this thing plays out. But it, it became clear at, at one point that um, the church needed to be the church. People were afraid, uh, people were alone, and we needed to take care of the flock of Jesus Christ. And our people, Amanda, came back in droves. Uh, we, we had uh, almost no hiccup at all. And um, in reality, uh, we had more people coming than pre-pandemic, uh, simply because a lot of the people who were um, going to churches that were closed. They were listening to this radio program or to our teaching radio programs on KSLR and KDRY. And uh, and they thought, well, they're open. I'm going to go to church. They wanted to be back here. And we've had a lot of lot of people return. And so, uh, Amanda, I think that, that explains it. I will say one other thing. We have been blessed by God. Now, when I say blessed by God, um, whenever God trusts us with somebody who he loves... We consider that a blessing. And we have been blessed by God during this time where churches were closed. have a whole bunch of people who were going to really horrible, horrible churches, doctrinally horrible, in terms of fellowship horrible, um, some of them heretically horrible. Um, and, and, and those people have sort of uh, have been led by the Lord to come here, and they're getting solid teaching. And the result of that is they are um, growing and they just stand sort of in awe. I never knew the Bible could be taught like this. And so that's been one good benefit from the pandemic. So Amanda, thank you for that question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I know Friday sometimes the phones are quiet, but you're so much more interesting than I am, so I would love your calls. Here is an anonymous question. Is it possible to sin so badly that God gets angry and refuses to let you return to him? Um, no, it's not possible. It's not. It, it's impossible, Anonymous, to outsend God's grace. Uh, his grace is infinite, and your sin, no matter how horrible it is, certainly is finite. So it is not possible. Now, here's where I have to caution you. When we are in sin, in rebellion against God, our hearts grow harder and harder. And that's a choice that we make. Now, it's not a conscious choice where we say, okay, I'm going to let my heart grow hard so I reject God altogether. But, but that's what happens over a process. Remember, the enemy is smart. He is clever. He's subtle. Uh, he's not going to stand in front of you and say, okay, we're going to reject Jesus Christ. He didn't say that. He just slowly leads you to a place where 
he can harden your heart. You harden your own heart. The, the more you say no to Jesus, the easier it is the next time to say no to him. And so while it's not possible to outsin the grace of God, it's possible, and we never know where this line is, it's possible to get to a point where our hearts are so hard that we can no longer respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So it's certainly something that we have to be careful of, but, but make no mistake, if you still are breathing, you're this side of six feet under, then uh, you can certainly um, reach out to God and know that he will forgive you of your sins and give you new life, new life here on earth and new life in eternity. Thank you for the question. Here is another anonymous question. Um, let me see, I've got a phone call I'll take first. From Seguin, our friend Ruben. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you are blessed today. And uh, I just wanted to call and just thank you uh, for uh, just for what you did. And I want to thank whoever it was that um, Mm -hmm. is going to pay for my my way to go to this men's retreat, which uh, I'm really, really, really excited about. (laughs) Uh, I, I told Pastor Ken when he told me I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? You know, I would love to. Uh, and um, I just want to thank him. Uh, I, don't know who, I don't know who you are, but thank you for uh, being led by the Spirit to do this for me. And I know that there's a purpose and there's a reason for me for this happening. Um, there is something that I am looking forward to. Um, and I, I know that I know that that God is just going to do something in my life. I know. Uh, Praise the Lord. Because this is, this has never happened to me. So <laughs> I'm going with an expectant heart. And you know the enemy tried to say, but you're disabled. You have your 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 walker that's huge, and you can't walk that far, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. And he tried to put excuses in me, but I said no. No, I'm going to go. I don't care. And I told Pastor Ken, Pastor Ken said, you know what, Ruben, don't worry about that. We'll get, we're going to accommodate you, and we're going to do this. So after Praise years, the Lord. I'm finally going to get to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord, Ruben. You know, you've got so many people praying for you. You've been a regular caller over the years, and, and uh, you've got so many people praying for you. And, and the woman uh, who made the offer, and she wants to remain anonymous, but the woman who made the offer to pay did it. She said, I've been praying for Reuben for a long time, and as soon as he said that, I knew the Lord wanted me to do this. And we got somebody else who said, I'll give Reuben a ride. There's no problem. So um, just praise the Lord. You, you're going you're gonna to meet a lot of wonderful people. But most importantly, as you indicate, God has a plan for you to be there, Reuben. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful weekend for you and a life-changing one, I hope. Um, That's what I'm expecting, a life-changing one. I'm definitely expecting that. So I thought it was a man, but if it's a woman, thank you so much, whoever you are. God bless you, ma'am. I have a feeling that I don't know her name, but it's probably the same one that, 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 that figured out who I was and the Valentine's thing who tied things together. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, or, but but that's okay. But thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Reuben. God bless. I look forward to, to seeing you there, and, and uh, I'm just thrilled. Thank you, Reuben. Appreciate it very, very much. See, I love this audience. I love this audience. I love the people here at Calvary Chapel. What a, what a privilege it is to be a part of this. Okay, let's get to the anonymous question that I started on. It says, Pastor Ron, I'm recently married and want to be the spiritual leader of my home. What does submission look like and feel like in life? Do you have any tips? Um, anonymous, um, I do. Look at Jesus. Um, turn, maybe do a devotion tomorrow morning. Get up and, and look at John chapter 13. That's what leadership looks like. It's servant leadership. You know, we men, you know, we're, we, I mean, ladies, this won't shock any of you, but we men, we have issues. <laughs> and we think, okay, well, lady, woman, you have to submit to me. That means I'm the boss. That's the farthest thing from the mind and heart of Jesus. 
To be the spiritual leader of your home means that you are a servant leader, means that you're setting the example in love, you're setting the example in kindness and in patience, you're setting the example in service. You're not there to have others serve you or to do what you say. You're there so that you have the opportunity to represent Jesus by serving them. And that's exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 13 on his way to the cross when he ought to be the one being served. uh, He picked up a bucket. He picked up a rag. He uh, girded up his robe and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. And he said, I've done this as an example that you should go and do likewise. And he wasn't talking about the act of washing feet. He was talking about the act of serving. So that's what a spiritual leader looks like. And believe me, Anonymous, when your wife understands that your heart is to serve her, to do what's best for her, and to love her, not to boss around, not to tell her what to do. When your wife understands that she is your partner in life and in ministry, whatever it is God's called you to do, she'll have no problem submitting to your leadership. And that's the way things are supposed to work. The other thing, and I mentioned a moment ago, uh, is partnership. You know, uh, um, your wife is your partner. She's not your helper. She's not your assistant manager. She's your partner. And so you bring her into the decision-making processes. You don't say, well, I'm the head, so this is what we're going to do. What you do is you say, I want to pray with you about this. I want you to pray individually about it while I pray so we can come together. Your wife needs the assurance that when you make decisions, you've made it in the counsel of God. You've made it by being in the Word of God. You've made it by seeking her partnership and her cooperation, her agreement. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so, Amos 3.3 says. And that's what a marriage is. It's a partnership. You know, I have the privilege with Paula of, of having a partner. I don't make important decisions. Uh, I I simply don't make important decisions apart from from her. Now, I I don't call her on the everyday things that are going on, but when there's a decision that affects our our marriage, our ministry in any fashion or form, it's a Calvary Chapel decision. I can tell you that I have seven pastors on my staff, and um, there isn't a one of them that would be a pastor today if I hadn't run them by Paula first. And said, Paula, do you see any red flags? What do you think? And she knows I I don't want her opinion. I want her to pray about it and tell me what God is saying. But you see, when I make the decision then, I make it knowing that she is a full partner. And there's just no room for the enemy to destroy our unity. And and Anonymous, that's exactly what um, Jesus-style leadership has. Let me also recommend a book to you. Um, um, this is a book by, by, by one of my dear, dear, dear friends in life, Gail Irwin. Uh, it's called The Jesus Style. And if you can't find it, I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Uh, and it's a paperback, so it's not a difficult book, nor is it a very expensive book. But, but if you can't find it, we have copies of it here, and we'd be happy to give you one. All you have to do is let us know. Contact us or stop by, and we'd be happy to give you one. But it's called The Jesus Style. By Gail Irwin, that's G-A-Y-L-E-I-R, no, E-R-W-I-N. And um, um, I've had Gail here at the church, I don't know, half a dozen times over the years. And the only reason I don't see Gail more is because he lives in Palm Springs, California, Cathedral City, actually. And um, uh, it's just too difficult at his age for him to get here. But but it is a book that, that perfectly describes what a spiritual leader should look like at home, at church, and everywhere else. It, it just is a, a perfect uh, example of what being like Jesus is all about. So The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. And if you don't have it, we've got it, and I'd be happy to give it to you. And for anybody else who needs it, let us know. It's a wonderful book. Uh, we have it available in Spanish as well. So um, please, 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 if you... Um, need it, contact me. Uh, I was just remembering also that you can uh, uh, go to YouTube 
and and uh, put Gail Irwin's name, the Jesus style, in it, and you can see one of his um, physical presentations of the book, the Jesus style. Thank you for the question, and congratulations on your marriage. We've got how much time? Just over, well, just over two minutes. Okay, I don't do that one. Here's what I can do in two minutes. Adam says, why do we replace the Old Testament law with the New Testament covenant? When did the New Testament covenant begin? Well, we, we replace the Old Testament law because Jesus fulfilled it. Um, he emptied it. There's, it has no more authority. Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. Not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And that's why at the what we call the Last Supper, Jesus in the meal, Judas now gone from the presence. This is something that no enemy of God can be a part of. Jesus picked up the cup and he, a cup and he said, this is the cup of the covenant, the new covenant written in my blood. So Jesus fulfilled the law and he initiated the New Testament covenant. So Adam, that's why and that's when. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. We would love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word of Santa for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Is there any way to have unity in the church with all of the rancor, good choice of words, Anonymous, with all of the rancor about masks, vaccines, etc.? Uh, there is a way to have unity. You know what it is? It's to walk in the Spirit. It really is. And, and regardless of whether somebody else is walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh, your responsibility is to respond in the Spirit. Your responsibility is to be a peacemaker. And I think what it involves anonymous is that we've got to set our opinions aside. I told our church here at Calvary Chapel, um, and I'm, I don't dictate what people can say or not say, but, but I, I tell them to love your brother, to love your sister in the church, you got to love them whether they're masked or vaccinated or not. I told them that the decision to get a vaccination is a personal decision between them and their doctor and their God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and told them they don't have the right to ask anybody if they're vaccinated. Now, people can ask me anything, and I'll answer some things, most things, but there's some things I won't. But the idea here is that our unity is found in the person of Christ. Our unity is found in the Word of God. Our unity isn't going to be found in a, an agenda, whether it's right, left, Republican or Democrat. Our unity is going to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you can't love someone who has differing opinions from you on these kind of issues, then you're the one who is causing the disunity. It's that straightforward. It's not my business what anybody else does with their bodies. It's not. As long as you're not hurting somebody else, somebody's going to say, well, how about abortion? You're anti-abortion. Well, they're doing harm. They're killing children. I said on the program last week in response to a phone call, I've never been prouder to be a Texan. I'm proud of my governor. I'm proud of him because he took a stand that, um, you know, it could cost him being reelected, but he did the right thing. He had the courage to do the right thing. So, aside babies not being killed, this whole issue of masks, vaccines, is nobody's business. And when we come into the house of God, when we are out witnessing, when we're online, we're talking. We got to remember that we are representatives of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He cares nothing at all about your opinion or mine. What he cares about 
is are we loving people? How could you ever explain to Jesus when you stand before him that you, you love people until they wouldn't get vaccinated or you love people until they wouldn't um, wear a mask? Maybe you're coming from the other direction. How can I love somebody who gets vaccinated when, when they don't know what the government's trying to do? You see, none of that stuff matters. The only thing that matters is love. I'm going to quote to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in my paraphrase. It says that if you know everything, if you can fathom all mysteries, if you have all the power in the world, if you have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, you're just making noise. And there's no unity, Anonymous, in the noise. The unity is in the presence of the Lord. And he commands us to love the people he loves. Masked, unmasked, vaccinated or unvaccinated, our responsibility is to love them. They disagree with you and it's a little harder to love them? Then try all the harder. That's what you're responsible to Jesus to do. So that's the way to have unity. As long as there's flesh, we probably won't. But Jesus is watching and This is an area where each one of us gets to make a personal decision about who we really are. If you only love the people that are easy to love, if you only love the people that agree with you, then you don't know anything about the love of Jesus Christ. Here is a question from Darlene. Now, Darlene, this is funny because I got this question from you last week. And um, uh, I'll explain why. She says, will you talk about the shack? Is it good? Darlene, I haven't had a shack question for probably more than two years. And I thought it was over. Now, the reason I'm saying this is interesting timing is because last night, just before I went to bed, I was sort of flipping around the channels and the shack was playing. And I probably watched 15 or 20 minutes of it. So, um, um, though I had the question last week, I didn't get to it till today. And last night I got to watch a little bit of it, uh, the movie. So, uh, let me see. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to talk about The Shack. The, the, the Lord has used the book, The Shack, in so many people's lives. You know, uh, Paul and I are, are, are vocal about our prayer list. We pray for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the, the fearful, and the angry. Uh, that's our list of people that we're praying for all the time. Uh, inside the church, outside the church, we're praying for them. And the book, The Shack, has ministered to so many of those broken, confused, hurting people over the years, God has really used it. Now, whenever I say that, people get the hair on the back of their neck standing up. Pastor Ron's uh, um, endorsing a heretical book. This is a piece of fiction. I want to say it again. It's fiction. And the characterizations are purposeful and they're symbolic. Paul Young, who has unorthodox beliefs. Uh, I have no doubt he's a real believer. He's wrong about some things. But this is a book that comes from his own experience. He's a man who had been betrayed, who had been hurt by people that were supposed to protect him. Male figures and the idea of a loving father figure was impossible for him to comprehend. Darlene, I have witnessed or counseled so many people over the years who have been abused by adult male figures, physically, sexually. And they've been hurt, they've been damaged so badly that the the talk about a loving father figure is impossible for them to understand. And so in the shack, when the father was portrayed by a black woman, people got up in arms. People said it's universalism. It is not universalism. It's just a book. And it ministers to the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, and the others. So I like the book. If it was presented as doctrine, I would hate the book. But this is a book about God reaching down 
to those who are really hurting and broken and meeting them where they need to be met. And that's my Jesus. And the book has been a huge benefit to those in counseling over the years. I've said, why don't you get this book and then we'll talk about your feelings about a loving Heavenly Father. So those who dismiss it as heresy are judging it by a standard that it never intends to keep. So I like the book. Uh, I even like the movie. I, I liked the the book more with one exception. There was a, a place in the movie where seeing the portrayal of the interaction between the, 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 the Son and the Holy Spirit um, was uh, just marvelous. I mean, it was it was just beyond my ability to imagine as I was reading the book. Uh, but um, uh, Darlene, I, I think the book has a great, great deal of value for people who are hurting. For the, for most of us who don't have issues, aren't having problems, we haven't been broken, um, then, then it may not be your cup of tea. But clearly, God used this book. Uh, it was a manuscript. It was it was private, and and God just sort of took it out of His hands, and it became uh, a, a mega selling book uh, because God was using it. Doesn't mean it was doctrinally right. It doesn't mean that uh, it's it's scripture on a par with scripture. It just means that God really will do anything to meet people where they need. So, Darlene, I hope that answers your question. Read it, enjoy it, uh, and then then watch the movie. Um, I think you can watch it probably on YouTube. I'm not sure, but uh, it's been out long enough that you can, you can, I'm sure, see it. Thank you for the question. Albert says, the Bible says if you seek God, you will find him. But what about other religious zealots who never find Jesus? Well, you know, they may be zealots, and they may be earnestly seeking the God of their own making, Albert. But they're not seeking Jesus. You see, Jesus is clear. I will be found by those who seek me. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So we need to really understand that, that Jesus, God's telling us the truth in the word. Um... Other religious zealots. Um, this is September. We're just a, a week away from the anniversary of 9-11. Uh, I don't think there was anybody who was more zealous than the, the terrorists who flew those airplanes into buildings and, in one case, into the ground. But you see, if they claim to be serving God, every human, no matter where they were raised, no matter what God they serve, little g God. They're all responsible to find out if that God they serve really is God, and the answer is no. And that's why when they're really seeking God, not the God of their own making, but when they're really seeking the real God, he will make himself known to him. Albert, I, I, I find this story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 wonderfully encouraging. This was a, a, a proselyte Jew, a convert to Judaism. Um, he was in Jerusalem for the feasts, and on his way home, he just wanted to know this God more. He was really seeking him. And God sent Philip, who was in the middle of a, a, a booming ministry in Samaria. God spoke to him and said, go down the, to, to the road to Gaza. Uh, and God supernaturally transported him. He found himself be beside this caravan of a very important man, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, 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 a servant in the, 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 the ministry or the cabinet of, of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And um, he had real questions. God made sure he had the answers he needed. And he responded, and by the way, the the, the church in Ethiopia went and Candace was converted and, and churches opened, Christian churches opened in Ethiopia, and they have been the longest continuous running churches in the history of, of the New Testament. Now, for nearly 2,000 years, without interruption, Ethiopia has had this Christian presence. 
So God does reward those who seek him. Now, there's something else I want to say, Albert, that that we find a huge revival going on in Muslim countries, uh, in Africa, in, in uh, the Middle East. Uh, we find people converting to faith in Jesus Christ all over the world in places where they, they could lose their lives for converting. Jesus is actually appearing to some in, in dreams and visions. Why? Because he loves them and he meets people. As I said to the question about the shack, he meets people where they need to be met. And people are surrendering their life. And, and believe me, in the middle of that kind of persecution, the church is vibrant and thriving in these places. Underground, you got to hide, but nonetheless, people's lives are being transformed. So they're seeking God. Just because they're not flying airplanes into buildings doesn't mean that they're not zealous. In fact, they're so zealous that they're willing to die for their new faith. I think of the the um, um, Christians, the Coptic Christians, the Egyptians, uh, who uh, a few years ago uh, were slaughtered on the beach, beheaded on the beach, on video by ISIS. They were seeking God they found him, and at the cost of their own lives, Albert. They were rewarded. So the truth remains that if you're seeking Jesus with all of your heart, he will make sure you're found. You know, one thing that I see in the, in the Christian church and a lot of Christian uh, minds and hearts is, well, we got to do this, we got to reach out. God is the one who reaches out. God is the one who reaches out. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Albert. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Christopher asked the question, why did God choose Jacob over Esau? And I got one word for you, Christopher. Stu. God chose Jacob because he knew Esau would sell him for a bowl of stew. God knew that when the twins were formed in the womb. In the womb. And when they were formed in the womb, God made a choice. The older will serve the younger, which is exactly the opposite of the way it would normally go in a Jewish household. And why? Because God knew that the older would sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, that makes perfect sense to me. And I don't know why people are so exercised over Jacob and Esau. Jacob wasn't a good guy. Jacob had more problems than perhaps any other um, uh, quote-unquote, biblical hero. Uh, He's in Hebrews chapter 11. But he wasn't a good guy. It wasn't that he was better than Esau. It's just that God knew that Esau would sell him and just to satisfy his hunger, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, Paul writes. And he also knew that Jacob would, with difficulty, would chase him to the end, end up wrestling with him and surrendering his life to God's lordship. So it's it's a real simple choice. Who would you choose? If you had two sons and you wanted one of them to take over the family business, you'd choose the one who would do the best job. You certainly wouldn't choose one who would sell out your interests for a bowl of stew. So Christopher, that's why God chose Jacob. It wasn't that God said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo." I choose Jacob. wasn't that at all. It was just that God knew. Romans 8, 29, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, the basis of God's choice of Jacob was his foreknowledge. He knew what each of the two brothers would do. But always remember, there is nothing whatsoever about merit in the choice. Here is an anonymous question. Pastor On, my question is about the millennium. Is it a literal 1,000 years or is it symbolic? Um, anonymous, look in your Bible in Revelation chapter 20. And I'm doing this from memory. I think six times in Revelation chapter 20 it says something like, when the thousand years are over, for a thousand years. And, and it, it can't be 
any clearer that that John understood that this was a literal 1,000 years. Again, a reminder, I'm teaching tonight and next Friday night on the rapture of the church. So we'll be talking about the millennial reign, uh, it just sort of, um, because it's connected, but but um, it, it, I, I just don't see how the Holy Spirit could be any more clear than pointing out six times in Revelation chapter 20 alone when the thousand years are over, after the thousand years, for a thousand years, over and over and over. And if the Holy Spirit intended for us to take that symbolically, he certainly wouldn't have been that specific. And so it is a literal 1,000 years. Anonymous, you and I are going to rule and reign with Christ for that 1,000 years on a redeemed earth after the Great Tribulation where the world will be ruled by perfect justice. And still, human beings, in their flesh and blood bodies, you and I will be in our glorified resurrected bodies, but the flesh and blood bodies, the multiplied billions, uh, perhaps trillions of people that are going to be born. In fact, I can categorically say trillions of people that are going to be born in flesh and blood bodies during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. They're still going to reject Jesus in unbelievably large numbers, proving once and for all, that the problem was never environment. It wasn't that people weren't treated fairly um, or that we're victims. The, the, the proof is uh, clear that the problem has always been man. The problem's always been our like of sin, our love of sin, and our unwillingness to stop sinning. That's why there are people that are going to die during the millennium, and that's why when Satan is released after the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, is over right at the end. He's going to be released for a short time because he's going to give all those people a choice to serve God or to serve themselves and in effect serving the agenda of the devil. And it says in the Bible that those that rebel are like the numbers of the grains of sand on the seashores. So in other words, a lot of people. So, Literally anonymous, and we'll be talking a little bit about that in the next couple of weeks here at Calvary Chapel. Paul says, Very often you mention that Christians should not be on social media. Why are you so against it? It's the way people in my generation communicate. Paul, I'm not at all opposed to godly communication. What I'm opposed to is the fact that Christians communicate in a most ungodly way on social media. And that's why I don't think Christians ought to be on social media. Now, certainly I'm not the governor of social media. But we Christians need to remember that we represent Jesus in everything that we do, in all of our communication, in all of our speech. And we we need to be accountable for the things that we say and do. So... If it's the way people of your generation communicate, God bless you, but but remember, you're a Christian and you need to communicate um, in a godly way. Let's take one quick phone call. we got to hurry. Cindy is on the line. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I'll try to talk as fast as a squirrel. I don't know if I can. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I'm wondering, okay, you answered some of my questions on the millennium. Now, there'll be people going through from the mark of the beast who didn't get the mark of the beast and still didn't accept Jesus, I guess they're going to, you know, slip on through. Now, the people who accept Jesus when we're there, are their bodies going to be changed and glorified? And also, I'm curious, if people are going to live, you know, all that long, then I guess there won't be any diseases or anything like that. So that's kind of part of it, and I'll probably percolate a few more over the weekend, but I'll leave you with that for now. And I really enjoyed Wednesday night Daniel's study at church. It's so fascinating. Thank you, Cindy. God bless you. Uh, Very quickly, um, um, disease, uh, illness. uh, It's said that an infant will die at 100 years of age. So evidently there will be some illness, some disease in the millennium but uh, it will be greatly uh, reduced. 
um, greatly reduced. Um, the people that survive the Great Tribulation, there will be unbelievers who survive the Great Tribulation, and they will go uh, into the millennium where they are forced to serve the Lord, uh, and, and where their rebellion will be met with instant and swift justice. Uh, but um, they, they will be in their flesh and blood bodies, and, and they will be relegated. Really, Jesus is going to be a dictator. Make no mistake. It's a benevolent dictator, but he's going to be a dictator in the, in the millennium. And so they're going to be forced at the end of that thousand years. Those are the people that are going to have to make a choice. Uh, their bodies, those who acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We would say those who get born again, even in the millennium. Their bodies will be changed at the great white throne judgment when the judgment of the earth is gone and before Jesus creates a new heaven and new earth because our bodies, flesh and blood bodies, are not capable of being in eternity. It's that simple. So they're going to have to inherit a new body as well and they will be um, transformed and um, they will have bodies fit for an eternity in heaven with Jesus. Good question, Cindy. Hey, reminder very quickly that we have um, no live program on Monday because of Labor Day, so it will be a rebroadcast. Um, I'll be studying the rapture tonight um, in large part, and then next Friday night we'll kind of wrap it up and also have questions and answers. And then it's Communion Sunday. Go to church. Ask God who you can minister to. Who, Lord, who can I be a blessing to? Just see what he does. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back on Tuesday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.